0: Great! Can you guys hear me? Yes. Excellent. So whilst I sit up, if you all just look under your seats, you will find that there's nothing there. So, <laughs> so. <Sorry. laughs> um. <laughs> Great. Um. I stole that one from a film. That's not an original. Sorry. Um, Great. So, um, as Steph mentioned, I'm going to be talking today. For those of you who are new here, you are really welcome. We'd love to have you here at Rev. Um, I'm going to be speaking from the Bible today. And uh, we've been going through a series in the book of Luke on the teachings and the parables of Jesus. Um, And parables are just short stories that Jesus used to illustrate certain points, Or teachings, um, and he often used them to get straight to the heart of a certain issue. Um, So I'm going to read from Luke chapter 18, verses 1 to 8. We're going to be looking at the topic of prayer today. Um, Hopefully, it will be on the screen. Yep. I'm reading from the ESV, so if you've got your mobiles, feel free to scroll to whatever page that is. Uh, So Luke 18, verses 1 to 8. So today I'm going to be touching on three areas um, in regards to this passage. Um, the first is words to win you with. The words that Jesus used to win us with. Um, the second is what do we do when it seems like our prayers are unheard? And third is the vindication of the righteous. people's God's people. So often when Jesus taught parables, some of them were quite confusing and needed him to unpack them over time. Um, In other cases, they were quite straightforward. And interestingly, in this case, Luke starts off the passage by telling us the reason as to why Jesus spoke this. So verse 1, And he told them a parable to the effect that they ought always to pray and not lose heart. Have you ever imagined what it would be like if Jesus gave a TED talk? would it go viral would it get most views on youtube would it get the most thumbs down on youtube i think the reality is that jesus is offering something here that is much greater much more interesting much more powerful than an inspirational talk see jesus didn't often say things for the sake of it they weren't just nice bits of advice or you know your three steps to success very often, Jesus said stuff that wasn't PC at the time. And he wasn't trying to be controversial. He wasn't trying to stir the people up deliberately. Often, Jesus' main aim when he spoke was to speak truth. And he did that so that it would strike deep down into people's hearts and get to the heart of the issue. And the reason this is, is because Jesus is after stony, broken, cold hearts. Jesus is after hearts. He wants to make them warm and malleable and pliable again. He wants to leave an impression. And the primary way he does that is actually through his words. Jesus strikes to the heart through his words. So if you're here today and you are a follower of Jesus you call yourself a believer the question is how do you make sure that your heart is responsive to Jesus and the answer is you listen you just listen see Jesus warms us with his words they soothe us they they begin to melt away the dross they fill the gaps they heal divides And then they bring life back into us. So even before we begin touching on this passage, if we want to be rock steady in prayer, if we want to not lose heart, if we want to see change, if we want to see transformation, we need to first be in his words. And why is the reason that? Because the effect is unfading. The effect of this is unfading. Jesus says later on in the book of Luke, in chapter 21, verse 33, heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will not pass away. That just blows your mind that the entirety of this universe and everything that exists could disappear like that, but Jesus said, My words will not, they'll remain. And you see, the promise here is that amazingly, if we're in his promises, if we're allowing his voice to sing over us constantly, if we're receiving the declarations of his love, his everlasting vows to you, the amazing thing is that we'll be led to speak. So as we listen and we receive, it actually causes us to speak. And obviously we experience this in our natural relationships, whether you're married or it's with your friends or with family members, it's that it's hearing the other person reaffirm their commitment to you with sort of a, a vulnerable vocabulary. You know, that gratitude, that thankfulness, it spills out into words. And the right response for the hearer is to do likewise. And so with God, our relationship with God, our response is praise and prayer. As we hear God speak to us, naturally what should happen in us is that our mouths open and stuff comes out. See, God, you deserve these words because you have spoken so wonderfully over me. So as we get into this, I want to give you guys confidence that this passage is welcoming us into a place where we can say, God, you can hear my prayers. God, receive my words, receive my thanksgiving, receive my groanings, receive everything that comes out of me. So today, let God's words wash over you. Let it dwell richly inside you. Let it do what it was intended for. And before you know it, you're going to be transformed by this, by his word that is everlasting, that will not fade, it won't diminish but what do we do when it seems like our prayers are unheard? Well, we see in this, in this parable that this widow, this woman, she approaches a judge. And she's speaking on many occasions, but it just feels like she's not being considered. She's, she's been listened to, but it doesn't feel like she's been heard. And her words haven't really struck the same chords with this judge's heart. And really what we see is that the way the judge responds is not out of love or respect. It's out of annoyance. See, her voice to him is like a resounding gong. It's like fingernails on a chalkboard. It's like the person chewing in your ear. It's like the person at the back of the classroom clicking their pen constantly. That's how this judge hears this woman's voice. And I'm sure for most of us, and even for some of you here today... You've been in seasons where you've even questioned whether God's listening to you. Have you heard my prayers? Some of your prayers might be consistent. You might be praying for something constantly. Some of them might be quite flippant and just out of the place. Some might be out of desperation. And we still get this sense of silence. Are they even heard? But when we read this passage, we know that God is obviously not like this judge. The the difference is stark. We see them from the top of the passage to the bottom, that the two are not the same. So the question is, well, why does Jesus use this story? What's the point of bringing in this character of this judge? What does it tell us? Well, we know already that the judge is characterized as being impatient, disrespectful. He's irreverent. his, His refusal to help this woman, that he's lazy, that he's selfish and probably he's tired as well. But we know that God isn't like this. So what's the point of the passage? Well, the point is that it can feel like we're pleading with someone who's not interested. It can feel like we're pleading with someone who doesn't care, that our words are not getting through. That's the big reason that we can actually lose heart in prayer, that we feel like our cause isn't being heard, that we're not getting through. That God just can't be bothered to help, that he has way too much on to deal with you that he, is, he grows weary over hearing the repetition of your voice. See, Jesus is saying, I know how this feels. I know how this feels. This is why I'm telling you this parable. I know it feels like you're being ignored. I know sometimes it feels like it's pointless. But let me give you hope. So the, the, the comfort we get from this passage later on is that God is actually being characterized as someone who is eager He's eager. And what's his eagerness? Well, it's his love. It's his love that spills out. You see, he loves to listen to his people. He loves his loved ones. He loves it, especially when we pursue him as well. The funny thing is that in this this story, the judge is actually running away. He's running away from everything. But we find that God runs to us. He's eager for us to run to him as well. See, Jesus asks at the end of the passage, will he find faith? And obviously there isn't a one-word solution, one-word answer to every situation where God might feel silent. I'm sure that many of us are in different walks and seasons with God. And God's using all of them together for our good. According to his will and his purpose and his plan. But it can be hard. We can feel it. We can feel the weight of, is anything even happening? And another way in which we could lose heart in prayer is what we fear. Now, this is not fear itself, but rather where you place your fear. See, Jesus says, when he comes, will he find faith on earth? An element of fear is actually trust. What are you putting your trust into? See, if we begin to fear anything outside of God, in turn, we lose sight of God's sovereignty over everything. And what we do is we take God and we place him underneath our circumstances. And our circumstances look bigger than him. And we've lost sight of who God actually is. And we can begin to lose heart in prayer. Well, God, you can't deal with this. But if we allow him to come back in, if we stop fearing the things that we can't control... We make sure that God is sovereign over all, that we see him as he is. You see, it's less about fear, it's more about misplaced fear. Are we like the judge who actually fears the loss of his life? He's running away, he doesn't want to deal with it. And interestingly before, in the the same passage, uh, just a little bit before, Jesus talks about those who seek to find their lives will lose it, but those who lose their lives will find it. See, are you going to try and control every single aspect, every single element that you're praying for? Are you going to try and be the solution to your prayers? Or are we going to do as we've just sung, declare that Jesus Christ is Lord of our life? Lord, just come in. You're in charge. You're sovereign. I trust you. See, let's not allow fear to be in the wrong place. Let Jesus be the one that we trust. Because he asks, will he delay long over them? Will he delay long over our prayers? The answer is no. Hallelujah. The answer is no. God has heard every single one. Luke, who writes um, this account of Jesus's life in the ministry, he also writes another book called the book of Acts. And that just follows the disciples and the apostles in the early days of the church. And he writes this account of a man called Cornelius. And when I read this passage, it almost felt like a direct application of what Jesus is teaching in this passage. So I'll read it to you. At Caesarea, there was a man named Cornelius, a centurion of what was known as the Italian cohort. He's in a position of authority there. A devout man who feared God with all his household, gave alms generously to the people and prayed continually to God. About the ninth hour of the day, he saw clearly in a vision an angel of God come to him and say to him, Cornelius. And he stared at him in terror and said, what is it, Lord? And he said to him, your prayers and your arms have ascended as a memorial before God. See, there is a beautiful picture of what our prayers are like before God. They're not just puffs of smoke that, that just fade into the expanse of life. They draw before the Father. They ascend to his throne. Every single one of them. And he remembers them. He remembers them. They're like a memorial before him. See Cornelius he feared God. He trusted God. And he loved man. He respected man. And do you know what's crazy? That actually the early church. Guess, guess who the early church provided arms for. Like supp- supplication for most. At the time. Actually, it was widows. Widows were often the people who were most in need. And widows were often overlooked by men at this time, particularly in this culture. See, they were some of the most neglected people. And yet Jesus, and even Jesus rebuked the Pharisees at times. He called them people that devour widows' houses. He knew that the religious leaders at the time were not like him. But God throughout history has this peculiar love for the broken heart. For those who are desolate. For those who feel like everything is falling apart. Does anyone know I'm here? I'll just quickly pick up on a few passages throughout scripture. So a few verses. In Psalm 68 verse 5 it says, A father of the fatherless and a judge for the widows is God in his holy habitation. Deuteronomy 10 verse 18, he executes justice for the orphan and the widow, and he shows his love for them, for the alien, by giving him food and clothing. Psalm 146 verse 9, the Lord protects the strangers, he supports the fatherless and the widow. See, God is for those who are marginalized. God hears every single one of their prayers. For those who feel like everything is against them. He is there. See, and will God not give justice to his elect who cry to him day and night? Will he delay long over them? I tell you, he will give justice to them speedily. See, for, there's some of you here today who you just feel like you're at your wits end. I just, I can't deal with this anymore. I mean, this this sort of um, season for me and my wife has been unbelievably stressful. <laughs> Some of the stuff that we've had to go through. Some of our friends have been in situations like this. Where you're just like, I have no idea what I'm going to do right now. But God hears every single one of your prayers. And more than that, he loves you. He loves you. It's really important actually to touch on the ferocity of this woman's perseverance as well. Let's not be blind to that. See, she went at it with great enthusiasm and energy. See, even to the point now, it's frustrating the judge. That's great. See, her words have power. And likewise, our prayers can be vigorous like that. They can get in it. Now, that doesn't necessarily mean that we're like the Pharisees when Jesus rebuked them, that they were on street corners, you know, preaching and praying loud and proud. But it does mean there's this powerful, relentless push in us. You know, the acronym, pray until something happens, push. But there's also another element to her persistence. It's that gradual wearing down of the judge. See, her words do, do, have, do impose on him and have power over him. But what's the relevance for us with our relationship with God? We know that we don't wear God down with our prayers and our words. It's actually the complete opposite. Our persistence calls upon God's love. Our persistence in prayer calls upon God's love. I use a silly example. Um, on Friday mornings, I go to running partners at Luke Ellis' house. Me and James Slater with him, and um, we meet at 6:30. And about sort of like quarter to seven, seven, you hear this noise: Mommy! Daddy!" And basically, Izzy's woken up. And to be honest, she'll just keep going until Luke or Sarah goes up there to the collect her. <laughs> We've, we've, we've tried. We've tried to push forward in prayer. But Luke gives in. He gives in. And the thing is that I know that Luke and Sarah absolutely love Izzy. They love her. But there's a tugging. There's, there's a winning. There's a reaffirmation and acceptance of that love. When Izzy cries out persistently, daddy, 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 daddy. And what it does is it calls out that love, that, that pre-existing love that Luke has. For her. But I think it's also important that we have to ask the question that sometimes why is it that prayer is so hard? Why is it so hard? Yeah, it requires something of us in terms of our faith, in terms of focusing, in terms of this sort of ferocity, this desire to keep going. But the reality is that there is a spiritual battle happening because prayer is a spiritual act. It's not random words. And it's I know there's a little rhyme that they teach in school, like prayer is like a telephone. I hate that. I hate that song. It's not like a telephone. It's not easy like picking up a phone. See, sometimes it can feel like a slog because actually there's warfare happening. We're tapping into the spiritual realm. Reality is when you pray in Jesus' name, authority is being exercised. There's authority there. So naturally what's going to happen is there's opposition there's opposition and there's three areas that really make it hard for us when we pray in terms of this we'll to touch on those the first is the flesh this mortal flesh that is selfish in its desires it's inward focusing the inclinations that want to keep us from submitting to god in prayer and also you know we live in this culture that promotes self everywhere you know self reliance Self-belief, self-realization, self, 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 self. But we know that God has not made us independent creatures. We're made dependent on him. That's why it's so hard to be independent, because we're not made like that. We're made to be dependent on the Father. Jesus even said, watch and pray that you may not enter into temptation. The spirit indeed is willing, but the flesh is weak. So we must do as Paul says to the church in Galatia. Walk by the spirit and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. We have to give ourselves over to God's spirit and live within that power. Another area that would want to steal our hope and our persistence in prayer is the world. The world we live in. It's shouting at us so many options and different ways of getting what we need. Trust in this. Trust in that. Do this, do that, buy this, buy that, and you will be satisfied. But we know that's not true. We know that there's just short bursts and we'll be left unsatisfied. We'll be longing for more. Jesus even said it himself that we don't belong in this world. We might be in it, but we don't belong to it. We don't belong to this worldly system. And even as Steph preached last week beautifully, that we belong to God's kingdom. We're aliens here. We're looking forward. To the promised land. We're looking forward to when Christ is reigning over all. We're aliens here. But we know that God loves the alien. And lastly, Satan himself. The real spiritual being who, who seeks to steal, kill and destroy. He opposes everything of our prayers. Because he hates God's kingdom advancing in us. He wants to destroy everything. Now it's not always the case, but you know a good way to check that you're doing God's will and that you're pushing forward is if there's opposition. You know, Satan doesn't care about those who are wandering off. He's very glad because he knows where they're, where they're going to be led to. He's more focused on the Christians. You know, he he sort of prowls around like a lion, waiting to devour someone. And Jesus said it himself: "They will hate you because they hated me." If you love me, they will hate you. Really, the question is, do you feel the fight when you pray? Do you feel that fight? And if you do, good. Good. You're in a good place. You're in a good place. There's a good reason for that fight. See, Satan hates our obedience to the Father. He's going to do everything he can to veer us off, to lie to us, to make us give up. So, what do we do when we're aware of these things? Well, the first thing is we allow the word of Christ to dwell in us richly. We know our truths. We know the promises of God. We stand on those promises. We fight the good fight of faith. Keep in faith. Don't lose sight of Jesus. Keep trusting what he said. Welcome the Holy Spirit to lead you, rely on his strength. Not on your own. And deny yourself. Deny the things that you want. The selfish desires that bubble up inside us. Deny it and wholly lean on Jesus' name. Now, When I was reading this parable, it sort of reminded me of another story in scripture. Where there's a group of people that come to a judge continually. And they're pleading that he would act on their behalf. And what happens is this judge is actually led to make a decision that's not out of righteousness, but really out of selfishness. He wants to remove the responsibility from himself. He does not want to keep the office that was given to him. See, the judge I'm talking about, of course, is Pilate. He's led to make a selfish decision. The, The accused, Jesus, is innocent before him. He knows it too well. He can't find any fault in him. Yet the crowds insisted more and more and more until it was like a beating drum in Pilate's head and he gives up. I can't deal with these people. I will give them what they want. See, there's a parable in this parable that Christ Jesus, the innocent Lamb of God, was offered up. By an unrighteous judge to crucifixion. But God the Father, the righteous judge, vindicates his son by rising him from the dead. Establishing him and exalting him into a place where now he's judge of all. That is crazy. That is crazy. The perfect righteous son is killed by an unrighteous judge. God the Father takes him and makes him judge of all. And will not God give justice to his begotten son? I tell you, he will give justice to him speedily. Uh, Romans 8 verses 33 to 34 reads, Who shall bring any charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies. Who is to condemn? Christ Jesus is the one who died. More than that, who was raised who is at the right hand of God, who indeed is interceding for us. That is what is in line for those who have put their faith in Christ. You see, one day everyone will receive justice. Everyone will receive justice for the way that they live their lives. But for those who have put their trust in Jesus, it's not as you expected. It's not as you deserve. Scripture says that, the wages of sin is death. We have all sinned and fall short of the glory of God. We deserve to be separated from God. We deserve to be crucified with Him. But we've been justified by faith in the Son. It's because of Jesus' blood that's been spilt on the cross that we do not receive that penalty. In return, Jesus gives us. His perfect righteousness. So we stand before the Father and He accepts us as He accepts His Son. He looks at every single one of us who've put our faith in Christ today. He says, I see my Son. I see my Son. Who is to condemn? Christ Jesus died. There's nothing in me today that Satan or anyone else can accuse me of. Jesus died for me. It's gone. It's gone. See, the parable here is a powerful image of the gospel. We are like the widow. We're helpless. We have nothing. I'm at my wits end, Lord. I've messed up in life. Everyone has abandoned me. But here comes the judge, the good and perfect and righteous judge, who is merciful and kind. He draws close to the broken hearted. In the gospel, we've been heard. He hears our prayers. In the gospel, we've been justified. And in the gospel, we've been given future hope. So we can persist in prayer and not lose heart. I'm just going to invite Steph to come up and just help lead us into prayer, really. So that we can have confidence now that as we draw before the Father, he hears Every single one of our prayers. He comes to us speedily. He loves his children.